So um, I think we're going to get started, folks, um, if everyone can find a seat. Um, I want to thank everybody uh, for coming out. This is the kickoff event of our public process around the um, East Milton Square overlay mixed-use uh, zoning. Uh, my name is Tim Zerwinski. I am the Director of Planning and Community Development. Um, see a lot of familiar faces in the crowd. Thanks, thanks for coming out. A lot of maybe not so familiar faces. Welcome. Um, you've been hearing me do a lot of talking recently. Um, I'm going to talk for just a little bit. Um, and then hand it off to our team from the Metropolitan Area Planning Council. We're joined by uh, Josh Fiala and, and Sarah Scott, who are going to be leading um, this meeting. Um, I want to start off by thanking our hosts um, at the Milton Arts Center. Um, if the MAC team could just give a quick wave so we can thank them um, for, uh, for hosting us. Um, obviously, beautiful building. We're, we're lucky to have it. Um, it's, a, it's a great public space here in East Milton. Um, we wanted to make sure that we're out here in the neighborhood, um, nice and convenient for everybody. And um, you know, this is we're 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 right in the middle of things. Um, so I be, before before Josh and, and Sarah get started with their presentation, which is is going to be a, a very interactive uh, presentation because I mean this is a process that's about learning about what this neighborhood wants to see out of its zoning. Um, but but just, you know, and I don't want to steal too much of Josh's thunder, but, you know, I just want to sort of situate people where we are in this process of doing planning and talking about zoning here in East Milton. Um, you know, a lot of folks were, uh, you know, paying very close attention to um, the Falcone project um, at Franklin Street. Um, and I think one thing that came out of that project, which was a, a mixed-use multifamily housing proposal, which is not currently allowed under our zoning, wasn't allowed under our zoning back then either, was an expression of kind of frustration and I think a desire on the part of folks here in East Milton to be able to exert a little bit more control over what type of developments were being proposed and what type of you know built environment we were going to see um, you know here in this neighborhood. Um, the planning board at the time and, and, and continuing on up until the present day has put um, a lot of attention, time, resources, discussion into um, you know, doing planning here in East Milton. Um, you know, we, were, we were lucky enough to have um, a technical assistance panel from the Urban Land Institute come in, um, which is sort of you know, design and kind of real estate professionals will kind of helicopter in and say, here's what's good, here's what's not so good, here's what can change, here's what shouldn't change. Um, and really sort of start, sort of set the table of, of a conversation about, um, you know, what, what sort of types of changes to the built environment do we want to see and how can we start to achieve them. Um, there are some folks in the room I know were part of the East Milton Working Group, um, working with the Barrett Planning Group to sort of try to develop, um, you know, a collective vision for the built environment. This is kind of the, the, the sort of the planning part of things where we kind of talk about, you know, what do we like? You know, what do we want to see? How can we potentially try to achieve that? Um, <clears throat> a lot of good stuff came out of that planning process. Um, still a lot of questions about kind of how to, you know, again, how to achieve, you know, what our, what our collective vision is. Um, this is sort of the, you know, the, the, the final step in that planning process where we sort of, you know, take stock of what we've got, vision, you know, what we want to see in the future. And then that vision sort of gets articulated in, into, into regulations. Um, if anyone followed the process that we followed in um, the Milton Village uh, Business District, we, a few years ago, passed mixed-use zoning over there. Um, it was a very, I believe, successful uh, process that we're really trying to replicate here. Um, but a big part of it is you know, learning about you know, how zoning operates, learning about you know, what zoning can help us achieve, 
what it can't help us achieve, um, and and figuring out kind of what works best, um, you know, for the neighborhood. So this is really step one in that in that process, um, and MAPC is going to be here to to help us with that. Um, you know, one thing that I want to help people kind of understand because there is a broader conversation around zoning happening, um, you know, here in Milton. Um, East Milton's a part of it. Um, you know, relative to the MBTA community zoning law. Um, you'll hear it referred to as MBTA communities, 3A zoning. Um, you know, this is going to be something that's going to be at town meeting in December. Um, you know, we do have a sub-district within our MBTA communities district um, that includes East Milton. And <clears throat> I want to kind of help folks understand, well, first of all, we're not really here to talk about that tonight. So, you know, the, the, the less we talk about that, the more we can talk about the real stuff that we want to talk about, which is, you know, what do we want to see here in this neighborhood um, in terms of zoning that's going to actually produce results. Um, but I do want people to understand kind of where this fits in with the MBTA communities process. We very intentionally kind of started from the premise that we've been doing planning in East Milton for a long time. And one way or the other, we want to see responsible, responsive growth and development here in this neighborhood that, that kind of, again, achieves our, our planning goals as both a town and as a neighborhood. So if you start from that point, you say, okay, well, we're going to be doing this anyway. The state is making us do zoning where we need to kind of hit certain metrics um, in certain sub-districts, including amenity-rich districts like East Milton. So let's try to get some credit for work that we're doing anyway. Um, and there's a lot of ways to think about that. You know, we've, we've zoned for multifamily in different parts of town. We're rezoning for those places to get credit for the work that we've already done. So one way to think about this is that if this is a successful process that we're engaging in starting tonight, there will be three zoning layers <laughs> on the map for East Milton. Um, you've got your current existing business district zoning in East Milton Square, um, which has been the business district zoning since 1938. Um, it has, in large part, produced some new development, and, and by new development, I mean from 1938 onward. Um, you know, but a lot of the development and a lot of the built environment here in East Milton actually predates zoning. Um, you know, one important thing to realize is that there hasn't been a new building built in East Milton under the business district zoning since 2008 is the number. Am I, I'm looking at Cheryl because I might have told her at one point, but um, it's been a long time since there's been a new development under the existing zoning. So this is why you see things like the 40B project um, at Franklin Street or why you see a site plan and variance process of 440 Granite Ave because the current zoning is not achieving the results that we want it to achieve. Um, so it's antiquated. It's not responsive to our planning goals. That second zoning layer of the three zoning layers, um, you know, will, again, if, if town meeting, you know, takes its vote um, on December 4th, will be the MBTA communities layer. And one thing that I think is really important to understand is that we've known since the beginning of this MBTA communities process that what we really want is that third layer of zoning that comes out of this process that starts in this room, is going to include numerous public forums, surveys, focus groups, you know, all of the things that we want to do to make sure that we are creating zoning that is responsive to, to the community's needs. That middle layer, that MBTA communities layer is where we are trying to take best advantage of the fact that we hope, and, and you know, we're in this business because we want to make change and we want to do the right thing and we want to achieve you know, good things, that if we do this, 
we can still get credit for this under the state law and everybody wins. <laughs> um, Josh, could you advance to the slide that I was, I was, I was, I was asking about? So w one way that we sort of think about this is that the MBTA community zoning presents what we think is a, a technically credible set of dimensional parameters that a property owner could conceivably take advantage of. But what I think is really important to understand is that we're not really giving anyone very much more additional development rights than they already have under our existing zoning. So, and I'm stealing one of Josh's slides right now, he'll show you this in context later, but I think it's really important to see that the top two charts are the existing zoning parameters and the bottom two charts are, are what we're proposing under MBTA communities. So under our current zoning, you're actually allowed to build a taller building than what we're proposing under MBTA communities at three stories by right, five stories via special permit, compared to the two and a half stories we're proposing under MBTA communities. Um, the current zoning has no open space requirements, no maximum anything per acre, no frontage, no front yard setbacks, um, side yard setbacks, this is actually even a little bit deceptive because it's a minimum of six, except if you're right on the property line, in which case you have a zero uh, side setback. So the current, the, the current zoning allows you to build a bigger building um, than what we're pu pu putting under um, our MBTA community zoning. Maximum height of two and a half stories, open space requirement of 40% of the site needs to be open space. Um, maximum units per acre of 30, which is less than what was approved at 440 Granite Ave, which understood contentious process, site plan approval variance at the Board of Appeals, but that was an outcome that we got to through a lot of dialogue and, and compromise with the neighborhood. And you know, whether or not people think that's a good or a bad outcome, um, it's an outcome that you know, has, been, has been ratified by, by, by the Planning Board and the Board of Appeals. That, that density is, is greater than, that's I think 48 units per acre at that project. So we're far below that. Um, setback requirements. All of this is to say that, you know, if you're a property owner, you could look at this zoning and say, maybe I'll, maybe I'll build a building under this. Maybe I'll take advantage of the extra half a story that I get over the existing zoning. Um, maybe I'll take my gangbusters business at Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts and build a 10-unit apartment building instead. Or, and we do have some property owners in the building, and this is a message directly to you, be a part of this process, which will, again, our, our hope is that we create zoning that is responsive to what this neighborhood wants to see out of the built environment, responsive to the town's planning goals, and is, is sort of fine-tuned in a way that creates you know, pockets of density here where it's appropriate, less density there where it's less appropriate. Um, you know, really starts to modulate height in a way that is, again, responsive to the existing infrastructure, the existing built form, and, you know, again, creates a process that is gonna be much more attractive to the development community than what we're proposing under MBTA communities. Um, that's what we're trying to achieve here, um, and, and that's a way where, again, you know, we get credit for the unit capacity um, which is a, a term that we've been using under under the 3A discussion, um, by doing this zoning, but we're actually really trying to steer property owners and developers towards 
again, the more community responsive, community kind of um, you know, developed zoning that we're here to talk about today. So um, again, <clears throat> we want you to be full participants in this process. Um, you know, Josh and his team have a number of really interesting and probing questions um, that'll help us learn a little bit about what the neighborhood wants to see, and hopefully we'll help you learn a little bit about how we can adjust the different levers of zoning, um, you know, to again, achieve, um, achieve a lot of our goals. So with that, I'm going to pass it off to Josh Fiala. He can introduce himself and his team. Thank you very much for coming, and um, you know, we please, we, we encourage you to stay a part of this process. Um, tell all your friends and neighbors. Um, and Josh, here you go. I'm going to go behind the table. Thank you, Tim. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. My name is Josh Fial. I'm a principal planner at MAPC, uh, the Metropolitan Area Planning Council, and we're acting as consultants to the town to help in all the ways that Tim just described. And it's great to be with you this evening. Uh, so I'm joined by my colleague, Sarah Scott, who's here uh, in the audience as well, and she'll be helping out as we get into some of the more interactive parts of our session tonight. We also have, not with us tonight, but behind the scenes at our office, Najee Nanali, who's helping with the community engagement aspects of this work too, and organizing our team around outreach. If you don't know about the Metropolitan Area Planning Council, we're the regional planning agency for the greater Boston area, uh, and we do technical assistance planning work for the 101 cities and towns which comprise that region. So we have provided these types of services to Milton in the past and have been engaged with the community in a variety of ways over the years and are happy to be with you all again this evening doing similar work here in East Milton Square. So this is a planning board study. And if you don't mind, I'm gonna actually improvise on our slide order a little bit here because um, we are a little out of order. The first thing I'd like to do is actually recognize planning board members who are with us this evening. So we have Cheryl Tagayas and uh, Meredith Hall and Margaret, uh, Margaret's in the back there. And, and uh, anyone else I didn't see come in? All right, so thank you very much. Glad to have the planning board members with us. So this is a planning board uh, study and we are uh, working with the planning board to um, meet with them. Uh, probably about on a monthly basis and come back together with them in terms of feedback from the broader community uh, that guides our work. Really, we're trying to engage with you all as much as possible to have, as Tim described, uh, the zoning uh, overlay district for East Milton Square match the community's preferences and desires for what you'd like to see happen there in the built environment over time. Our agenda for this evening, uh, good news, we're already past agenda item number two. We're down into the East Milton Square overlay zoning discussion, and we have uh, a bit to cover there. Our role and hope for this evening is that this is an engaging and dynamic session. We're here actually to frame a discussion, but actually to hear from you all uh, and invite your feedback and outreach. We're primarily gonna do that through cell phone voting, just a fair warning on that to have your phone available. If you're not so into that, we also have some paper copies too, but we'd love to you uh, to engage with us with the cell phone voting because you'll see interactively how your answers and responses show up on the screen. So that's that'll come in just a few minutes. Um, so planning board members, we've gotten to. All right, so here we are back to where who we are and back to the planning board study. So this is uh, based on previous efforts in East Milton Square. Many of you have been a part of those efforts. We're building on that, trying to have as much continuity with those past processes as possible. 
Um, and really our focus is uh, on the zoning regulations and the design guidelines that come along with those regulations. So we're trying to build upon all of that past planning work and really move into the implementation of getting the ideas into the regulations. Uh, ultimately, uh, once the planning board and the community is happy with the direction of the, the zoning uh, changes, updates, whatever, however you'd like to phrase that, it's the town meeting who will be having to adopt those zoning changes and enact those. So we need to uh, make sure, hopefully, I, I know that there's some town meeting members in the audience as well, and uh, hopefully building understanding and uh, knowledge about these zoning changes as we move towards that goal as well. The studies, Tim mentioned a few of them. There's uh, a wealth of previous planning activity that this work is, is sitting on top of and building on. Uh, most recently, of course, the Looking Forward East Milton plan with the Barrett Group that I know that some of you are involved in. Um, that plan, as we'll describe this, this evening in detail, had uh, specific zoning recommendations that we're building on. We're not uh, taking as for granted that that's the consensus view uh, that was put forward in that process. And tonight, what we're really trying to do is build upon that, um, the recommendations from that report, but get all of your feedback um, and the feedback beyond this evening. We'll have a community survey as well uh, to invite further feedback uh, on the specific zoning recommendations that came forward. We also have uh, additional studies. The East Milton Local Rapid Recovery Plan was a process. Uh, Tim mentioned the ULI Technical Assistance Report as well. And then of course, the Townwide Milton Master Plan also provided some insights in terms of where the East Milton Square would like to head in the future as well. Our process, we like to use this simple three-part Venn diagram to describe um, really what we're trying to get after in, in zoning efforts like this. Um, it's trying to hear from the surrounding neighborhood and the abutters, the residents will be most directly impacted by future zoning changes or future uh, development under zoning changes. Also thinking about the perspective of property owners, developers, the viability and financial feasibility of development in the future. And then the town at large in terms of uh, the town's broader ambitions, those represented in the master plan, those represented by things like the housing production plan, and then ultimately trying to get to that sweet spot. We all love a good Venn diagram, but we wanna hear from all of those perspectives and then hopefully come to a consensus uh, position where each of those parties are benefiting from the approach to the zoning. Ultimately, this is about increasing development viability. Uh, and so all of the characteristics of zoning contribute to development viability. There's a lot of variables, how they interact is complicated. Uh, I've, I've put some uh, general uh, markers in terms of where the current zoning uh, characteristics may lie in terms of development viability, all the way from setbacks, you know, whether there's more or less flexibility in setbacks or lot coverage or building height, uh, the affordability requirements and sustainability requirements, all of these features of zoning and how they relate to uh, development feasibility and viability. And you can see just, it, sort of conceptual level, if you were to toggle some of these, how you might move towards more viability. And that's mostly simplified as flexibility equals viability. So of course, this isn't where we're headed, but it's just an illustration of how we're trying to keep track of zoning characteristics as they relate to development viability. It would be um, not a successful process if we uh, capture all of the views of all the residents and get a perfect um, zoning recipe from that perspective, but no project ever comes forward because we've not accounted for financial feasibility. 
So you can see here too, also things like affordability, sustainability, design requirements, those may also be goals of the community that might not be um, impacting viability in the best way, but those are important aspects that we wanna make sure are better than what's in zoning today. And then on this bottom line, I'll mention too, that the approval process by which zoning, whether it's special permit, site plan review, or by right, that's critical to that notion of viability as well. This process is also leveraging recent investments, of course. Uh, the investments by MassDOT, both in terms of the uh, street improvements, paving, the uh, work at the center of uh, the East Milton Square, the park, uh, and all of the connections around it, those, uh, this process is leveraging those investments uh, and really building upon those. Tim's mentioned, and you are all well aware of uh, the contentious development processes which are, have recently occurred and how those processes had to uh, really in many ways circumvent the current zoning regulations because they just didn't fit within that context. We like to um, have uh, projects uh, of mixed use nature that the community is proud of and, and on board with, but that the zoning can allow for uh, and, and move positively in a direction without a process, without a development project having to go outside of the zoning to achieve those ends. Of course, we're looking at East Milton Square. Here's the, the town of Milton at large, and we're here uh, just on the edge of Quincy, of course, with I-93 um, kind of intersecting the square there. This is a view, just to orient you to it, that we'll be using throughout the evening to share some of the analyses that we've been doing. And you can see uh, I-93, the Southeast Expressway, is here, uh, kind of cutting across. Uh, you've got uh, Bryant Avenue. We're uh, here in the building at the Art Center. You've got the Central um, Park as well. So. Hopefully this makes sense to people. It's a little bit of a, a skewed bird's eye perspective uh, and you can hopefully find your bearings on it as we use it to describe some of the characteristics this evening. There's the same view just zoomed in a little bit with the, the Manning Park at its center and uh, some of the restaurants and shops along Adams Street that you all know well. All right, so fair warning, which I gave you. Now we're uh, invite you to pull out your cell phones for the first round, and these will be, once you connect to the cell phone voting, you'll be able to interact with the questions throughout the meeting. They will be interspersed uh, throughout the activities or throughout the presentation. It's pretty simple. If you pull out your phone, uh, you go to the messaging app that you have, and you want to send a message to the recipient, which is the number, 22333, and the text that you want to send to that number is MAPC. P-O-L-L. If you'd prefer, you can also do it through an internet browser on your phone, but I think the text messaging is, is a lot easier. If you don't wanna play along with the text and phone at all, Sarah does have some paper copies if you'd rather do it by pen and paper and she can pass those out. And uh, we just ask that you follow along on the paper and then hand it into us at the end and we're happy to collect those and add them in with the other feedback. So hopefully everyone's got that going. You should get a, a response back that says something like you're connected to the poll. Um, and then we will get going onto the first set of questions. As we've given a little bit of introduction about ourselves, we'd love to know a little bit more about who's in the room with us this evening. And we have uh, five questions to do so. And you'll see them come up on the screen one at a time. And then as they come up on the screen, you'll respond. And I'll show you how to do that 
momentarily. All right, looks like some of you are, are potentially responding already. Maybe you. Yes. Let me get back. Oh. Yeah, go. Yeah, thanks, Josh. So you're using the, the message app again, and the, the text message is 22, or the recipient is 22333, and the message itself is M-A-P-C-P-O-L-L. -L. And that, just so you know too, that, those instructions are at the top of each of the um, question screens as well. Oh, okay, great. So everyone pretty much, everybody feeling good? All right, great. So you can see the, the same instructions are still here at the top if you'd like to refer to them. But the, the first question, and what you do is, with each question as it comes up, you'll respond with the letter that you, you corresponds with your answer to the question. So the first question is, what is your primary relationship to East Milton Square? So A, resident, so you'd respond with A, just text back once you've connected. Or you would respond with B if you're a business owner, or C, a property owner. D, if you work in the district or neighborhood. E, if you're just a visitor or patron. And F, if, if it's something else or you'd prefer not to answer. And if, if you don't find the perfect fit for your relationship to East Milton Square, just, just select the one that's closest. Yeah, so we only, what we found is if we, do, if we allow multiple answers, the system kind of breaks. So you only get to do one answer at a time. So choo choose the one that you most identify with. Is everyone... Does anyone else need help with connecting? No, that should be. Okay, well, I think we'll go ahead and press on just to see if people can keep going. So it looks like most, most answers are coming back as resident for the first question. Uh, a little bit of work in the district and neighborhood as well, or visitor patron. So we'll, we'll work out the kinks, and hopefully more people will be able to connect as we keep, keep moving here. Josh, I will also note some folks in the back having a hard time reading. So if you're able to read off, it's on the screen. Okay. I'll read off the answers as well with the answer choices. And I, I think, Josh, maybe if you could... I have trouble advancing with the remote out of the polling. All right, the next question is, where do you live? And again, you get to choose one answer. The A is for East Milton Square itself. B is for surrounding neighborhoods. C is for Milton. D is for a surrounding town. Or E is other, or you prefer not to answer. So, so far it looks like most people are uh, with East Milton Square, which is great.
just give it another minute or so. Are most people getting the, seems like their phones are all connected now. I think we've settled down a little bit. Okay, maybe maybe we can have Sarah help look with you at a, in a second too. No, it should be it should be going now. Okay, yeah, do the do the paper voting if you are having issues with that. Our apologies about that. Or you could maybe restart the messaging app and try it again. That might be another solution. All right, maybe Josh, if we head to the next one. Next is what is your age? Uh, A is under 24. B is 25 to 39. C is 40 to 59. D is 60 to 74. E is 75 and over, or F is um, preferring not to answer that. And we'll take a look, one of the things we'll do with this data is just compare it to the, the demographics, the census block for East Milton Square, the demographics of the town in general. It okay, looks like we're mostly in the 40 to 59 range. So, all right, I'll, we'll go a little faster now. Thanks, Josh. Yes. Can you tell how many responses you're getting now? Um, I don't think I can do that live, but on the back end, we will see how. So next is how often do you visit East Milton Square a is daily, B is weekly, C is monthly, D is a few times a year, and E is not very often, so less than a few times a year. I would imagine with, with most of the residents being East Milton Square, that daily is probably gonna be the most selected answer. Okay, Josh. Thank you. And this is the last question for this round. It's a fill in the blank, so you get to type a short statement. You don't have to go uh, full essay, but you can give us a short statement about what is your top priority for East Milton Square, just in, in general. Prevent overdevelopment. Expansion traffic and safety. Protect historic buildings and trees. Interesting relevant businesses. What will happen to my real estate or the property? Vibrant mixed use. Good planning. Pedestrian safety. Another vote for pedestrian safety. Protect over development. Parking and no overdevelopment, traffic is such a huge problem. Revitalize and put a vision forward. Accessibility, reduce traffic and prevent overdevelopment. Keep parking and traffic congestion out of the neighborhoods. A residential neighborhood with community supporting business accessibility. Traffic improvement, parking and enticing businesses. So we'll, we'll continue to get all these if we don't see them on the screen, we'll see them in the back end of the app and we'll go through and look for themes and patterns in your responses.
And you should be able to keep responding as well as we move on in the presentation. So thank you for your thoughts on that. So we want to give a little more context for East Milton Square today, and then that will frame a discussion around a very, pretty specific discussion on each of the zoning characteristics which we'll be contemplating in this process. We don't have any final answers for anything this evening. This is, as Tim was uh, discussing, the front end of the process for the mixed-use overlay zoning in East Milton Square. Um, but we do have the recommendations from the uh, Looking Forward study that we're building upon. Um, but just feel that you're, you're at the front end of the process, so you have not missed anything. Uh, and we'll be going through everything in detail tonight to get a feel for wh what direction you'd like it to head in. So just to highlight a few of the items from that uh, report, which we're referencing the previous study, the Looking Forward East Milton work. And there are um, a few items from the vision statement that I wanted to call attention to. So a few of the operative phrases that I see there are a vibrant and welcoming neighborhood that showcases the town's history and embraces opportunities for intentional growth and change. And this, this text might be a little small on the screen, so I'll make sure I get cover all the ones here. A, a local and regional destination with a range of thriving commercial, recreational, residential, and cultural opportunities. I think that was another excellent phrase to help frame our zoning. Quality housing that is affordable across a broad income range and harmonious with the neighborhood, which brings increased diversity and bustling foot traffic to the district a distinctive identity for the district, welcomes opportunities that encourage the neighborhood's managed evolution, environmental stewardship is prioritized throughout the planning process, setting a standard for the town. And the last one I noted was uh, respectful, consistent, and continual collaboration among town staff, business owners, local business associations, and residents that further this shared community vision toward a flourishing and sustainable East Milton Square, which I would argue that is what we're a part of this evening. So there's a few more words, as you can imagine, in the vision statement, but th those are the overall points I'd like us to focus on. There are a few um, specific framing items for the zoning, which I've mentioned as well, and we'll go in into the details of these one by one. But the basic ideas were to establish either a new district or an overlay district that's mixed use in nature. It could be uh, using a mechanism such as a chapter 40R district, which provides special incentives to the town. It could just be a straight overlay district um, of a mixed use nature. The preferred approach was to have a uh, ad adapted business district, which includes mixed use. Uh, there's the Recommendations contemplated expanding the business district in terms of its boundary and footprint, which I'll share with you uh, what that might look like, and we'll talk about the details there, and you can, you'll be able to react to all of these. Establishing sub-districts within that expanded area was, I think, an important aspect of tailoring the zoning characteristics to the specific context. Calibrating the site and building standards within each of those sub-districts allowing for increased height in general, but with some very specific reactions to the different areas according to sub-district, reducing parking requirements potentially, and allowing mixed use by site plan approval as opposed to special permit. So those were the, the overall summary of zoning recommendations. We're gonna go through them one by one together and you can weigh in on them. 
East Milton Square today, there's, um, it's a beautiful district, a lot of uh, fantastic sort of features which reinforce the identity and the place uh, which puts it together. So where we are this evening, the post office right next door, um, the Adams Street um, storefronts uh, and the, all of the shops and restaurants which people uh, engage with in this square and really thinking of East Milton Square as a downtown for Milton. There's not another uh, business district like it in the town. And these are some of the, the features of it on the ground. A few features uh, in terms of a more analytical uh, plannerly approach, look, starting with the uh, land use in the district. So commercial land use is the largest use category. You see those in the red, the light red and the darker red tones. Uh, the darker red tones are those um, commercial uses which you're more likely to interact with as a pedestrian. So the shops, the restaurants, the services. The yellow tones are residential and then the blue is municipal or institutional. So churches, um, town properties or federal properties like the post office. Uh, so 36% within this red boundary, not the entire entirety of parcels on the screen, but 36% of the parcels within that red boundary, which does uh, correspond to the larger zoning area contemplated by the previous study that we're building on, not necessarily the, it's good for our study, not necessarily the final outcome for our zoning district, of course, uh, but good for us to look at in terms of this, this analysis. 43% um, are within that retail service and restaurant category, the darker red. 12% are within the other commercial category, which includes things like gas stations, funeral homes, other services which are maybe not as uh, oriented to a mixed-use district in terms of pedestrian vitality, things of that nature. <coughs> and then 11% for the municipal and institutional properties as well. If you look at the, the parcels by public or private ownership, it is predominantly private ownership. 95% of the parcels are privately owned, which points to the importance of the regulatory zoning environment to guide how those pro private properties are used in the future. So this isn't a district where the town owns a lot of critical properties or will be the catalyst here. This is private development is the driver of future change in this district, which is why zoning is so important. This is an interesting uh, thing to look at just in terms of future change and, and how the opportunity for redevelopment might occur over time. So this uh, compares the building value on a property to the land value. And where the, the building value is greater than the land value, that typically represents an investment in the building where the calculation for redevelopment might not be there in terms of financial feasibility, although that's not, it's just a sort of general look, but not 100% uh, accurate all the time. The, so that's, those are colored in um, red, where the building value is larger than the land value. Where the building is less valuable than the land that it sits on, that might represent an opportunity for future investment. And those are colored in green on this map. And you can see uh, there's actually more green than there is red on this map. So 56% of the properties within that boundary are green, which means their land value is greater than the building value. 44% are red with the building value greater. And Tim touched on this as well. It's another interesting aspect of the square. Uh, the year built, 
And so there's pretty solid uh, and even distribution for the uh, sort of previous eras of building and development. So prior to 1920, it's about 28% of the structures. This is the, the darkest uh, green or brown tone. Um, if you move to 1921 to 1950, 27%, almost the same number of properties in that era. 1951 to 1980, 23%, so a little bit of fall off. But then from 1981 to present day combined, there's only 5% of the properties have been developed in that time period. So you're seeing a very steep drop off in terms of more recent development. So that's 3% from 1981 to 2000, and only 2% from 2001 to present. The gray parcels here have no buildings, so they're vacant parcels, perhaps a parking lot. Um, perhaps, um, I've, I actually have noticed a, an assessor's data error, perhaps, in some of the properties where there is actually a building, uh, and we can fix that up too. But 17% 17, 17 uh, according to the data have no building or are vacant properties. If we just isolate on those most recent properties in, in there um, since uh, 2001 to present, it's, it's 11 properties on the screen that have been built since 2001. If you look within that red boundary, which we've been analyzing within, it's only two. So 475 Adam Street from 2018 and 502 Granite Ave from 2008. Of course, there's the two projects in the development pipeline at 440 Granite Ave and the residences of East Milton Square, which would add to this map, but that's, that would bring the grand total of four uh, since uh, 2001. So we have a few more questions just about the general context, and then we're gonna go zoning characteristic by zoning characteristic and get your feedback on each one. So. If, Everyone should still be connected if you were before, but if you came in late or uh, haven't been able to connect yet, you can send a text message to 22333, and that text message should be M-A-P-C-P-O-L-L. -L. And then you should be connected to the poll. We have five questions again, and these are more generally about your reaction to East Milton Square today. We've given you some data, some analysis. Of course, you all are living or working or, or playing here and know on the ground your, your feeling about the place. So the first is, how close is East Milton Square to your ideal vision? So you, something you're imagining for it in the future, how close is it today? A would be very close, B close, C neutral, D, not close, or E, really not close. And you just respond in the same text with those, um, your choices. And this is helpful to us because it, it helps us to gauge how transformative some of these changes might wanna be to help align uh, the place with your ideal expectations for it. Looks like most responses are coming in close at 42%, 44%. And if you have uh, one of the paper sheets too, just follow along and mark, mark the answers down as we go too. How are you gonna report on the We, so that's a good question. So when the, the paper responses, if you're recording on a paper, please make sure you hand them into myself or Sarah at the end of the meeting. We'll com compile them with the results we get from the online voting here. We also are going to have a follow-up survey that's open to anyone who couldn't join us this evening. 
and we'll add those results in with these results and the paper results. So that it'll all get combined. Yes, sir. Is there a way to tell like the people that are saying close and the people that are saying really not close? Who lives here and who does not live here? We can, yes, we can actually, both on the paper, because it'll be on the same sheet, and here we can correlate responses across dancers. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Did you have a question as well? Yeah. Um, so someone, uh, I just want to know, how, is this more like a survey discussion or we're going to actually have a discussion about the zone? Because people who live in the square, like particularly me, I'm, I'm in the zone. So I just want to know like what's realistic. I know that you guys are doing the survey units, but I just want to know like for time constraints, are we just basically having a discussion around the survey? Are we actually really having a discussion or are we going to have a discussion around the survey? I, we're using the survey questions to get very specific feedback on items. So I, I live in the construction. I'm yeah. in the zone, yeah. so I want to know how this zone affects me. Okay, and we, we do have time within the presentation as well for open comments as well. So thank you for that. Uh, Josh, could you advance us to the next one since mine doesn't work? All right. The next is, uh, do you generally support additional private or public investment in East Milton Square? Just, just generally. The answer A is strongly support, B is support, C is neutral, D is oppose, and E is strongly oppose. Looks like most answers are falling into support at 45%, followed by strongly support at 30%, and some others along the way as well. Okay, Josh, why don't you go ahead? And then uh, the, the next question is, do you generally support updating the zoning in East Milton Square? And again, we're at the front end of a process for updating the zoning. There is no zoning, concrete zoning proposal for the overlay district at this point. Strongly support as A, B's support, C is neutral, D is oppose or E is strongly oppose. We're not saying which way to vote. Just, yeah, so the, this is mostly on, the, please uh, respond in regard to the overlay zoning, which is yet to be defined. All right, so strongly support and support. 31% each. And then to end this round again, another open-ended question, which is what is your biggest concern with updating the zoning in East Milton Square? And again, focused on the overlay zoning that we're defining through this process. More traffic in the residential neighborhood, traffic, heightened too much density. My real estate, environmental sustainability, more traffic through the neighborhood streets, negatively impacting long standing homeowners, livability in their homes, 
so many different initiatives targeting East Milton. It's so confusing. Hopefully we'll, we'll try to continue to help with that this evening a little bit. That we make sure to keep a village look and feel with pedestrian safety, greedy developers manipulating the system, overdevelopment and traffic, height, thoughtful density. Great, thank you for all those responses. Let's go to the next one. All right, so we will continue on and we will have, we'll um, make sure that we leave time for open comments if these sort of interactions don't fit with the things that you wanna say. So we do wanna go through um, in detail the potential overlay zoning changes. Again, nothing is defined, but you're helping us through this feedback to define the direction and conceptual um, approach that will be taken. The current zoning context, this is just a, a portion of the town's zoning map. You can see the business district, which is there in East Milton, surrounded with that dashed yellow circle. It's one of three business districts in Milton. And you can see the other two on this map, uh, both up along 93, along the deposit, but then also at the Milton Village area as well. As we look at the area, the same view we've been looking at for the other analyses, the current business district, which is red, as I mentioned before, does not um, completely fill the area that we've been doing that analysis within. So you can see it's, it's primarily along Granite Avenue, uh, the primary intersection with Adams Street and Bryant Avenue, um, and does not include the other surrounding areas, which are in the yellow, which is the residence C zoning district. So these are the, the very specific items for a zoning district that we're gonna go through one by one and get your feedback on. So the purpose statement, the boundaries, use options, its relationship of use and form in the zoning, dimensional standards, which includes setbacks, height, uh, other characteristics, density, parking requirements, which we know is a concern, design guidance in general, what might be most important to provide more specific guidance on what we'd like to see happen on each property and with each building, and the type of approval. So we'll go through each of those and, and gather your feedback. I've covered this already, but this was a review of the framing that occurred with the previous um, Looking Forward uh, East Milton Square document. So we put together, based upon everything we've seen so far, um, some potential bullet points for a purpose statement. And these, these are, this is the type of language that could go straight into a zoning bylaw to help define what the point of the zoning is and have a, a very um, sort of objective and realizable uh, set of metrics that you could measure a um, project against with the purpose. So uh, that includes proactively and intentionally guiding commercial development and commercial investment in the district, incentivizing mixed-use development, so making sure that uh, that recipe of a ground floor non-residential with residential above is something we're driving towards, increasing the variety of housing options, enhancing the sense of place and the district identity, strengthening walkability, safety, and convenience for all modes of travel, for all circulation, pedestrians, bicyclists included, improving environmental sustainability and the resilience of the area, and then leveraging private investments to add community amenities 
while reducing impact. So we're trying to create a situation where the community feels like they're getting something from uh, the investments on the properties. So I think you can only, again, vote for one of those, but what would be helpful for us is to hear from you about which of those statements resonate with you the most about the priority for this zoning. And that will help us um, understand a little bit better the direction that we should be headed with it. So they're the same statements I just read on the previous slide. There's also choices, um, so those are A through F uh, as the options in the order I just read them. All of the above is a choice also. So if you like all of those statements in combination, you can choose all of the above. If you want something else that's not there at all, you can say other, and then I invite you to give us some verbal comments and we'll take note of the verbal comments since we don't have a way for you to enter them through the phone. If, none of, if we've totally missed the mark and none of these resonate with you, you could select none of the above as well, which would be helpful to know if we're way off. Yeah. So the language that we've just put together here is based upon reviewing all of the previous documents, based upon the vision statement that I just went over, and, and trying to um, move all of that background documentation into succinct bullet points. So it looks like uh, all of the above is great, good. It's solid for us to hear that that list is resonating with people and reflective of past processes. That was our intention with it. Uh, other focuses include leveraging the private investments to add community amenities while reducing impacts or proactively and intentionally guiding commercial district investment and again, strengthening walkability and the safe and convenient circulation for all travel or all types of travel. And off the screen on the very bottom, there is another option J, which is um, not sure or no opinion. All right, Josh, thank you. So I, I've mentioned the zoning boundary as something under consideration as well. This is a diagram from the previous um, study which was uh, captioned suggested changes to zoning districts. It was towards the, in the recommendation section for the looking forward uh, study and documentation. And you can see here three, three distinct areas which were part of those recommendations. At the, the center is the um, mixed use center district, which is really the core, the, the center of a district. There's a mixed use gateway district which is um, basically on that entry edge uh, from the Southeast Expressway. And then there's the lighter orange tones are mixed use transitional districts that would um, provide a transition to the surrounding residential neighborhoods. So that would be overall a, a larger footprint of an area which would have modified zoning, not necessarily all the same zoning, but a modified set of zoning characteristics within that geography. Here you can see the same diagram just translated into the format that we've been looking at consistently in this meeting. So again, the, the gateway area along Granite Ave, the core area, which is where you would imagine it, and then 
the surrounding transitional neighborhood areas. And the surrounding transitional neighborhood areas do capture some non-residential properties which exist today from back from the land use map. Those might be some municipal properties, some commercial properties which aren't in the district today. So there, there was a logic to the properties which were brought into this expanded area for consideration. So for each of these, the next series of questions, there's, I tried to arrange the um, answers on kind of a spectrum. So one end is uh, in some ways agreeing with the approach that was put forward and then towards the bottom of the spectrum is not agreeing. And so at the top here, so what the question is, what option seems most appropriate? Sorry. I think, oh no, 3A is the purpose, yeah. Uh, so the question is, what option seems most appropriate for the boundary of zoning changes? Answer A is expand the current business district boundary and add subdistricts. And that's the most consistent answer with what I just showed you with the diagrams. B is create new mixed use districts that transition to the surrounding neighborhoods. So maybe somewhat of an expansion, but maybe not as large or in a different way that we can um, determine together. C is retaining the current business district boundary, but adding subdistricts. So the current footprint of the district, but maybe differentiation within that footprint. D is retaining the current business district boundary, period. Working with what is there today as a uniform district. <coughs> e is other, and if you do have other, feel free to shout it out and we'll take note of it. Uh, yeah, so I, I was yeah. the other. I, and I couldn't add the comment in the thing, anyways. But Mike would say, would go to the other way. I would say, shrink it, but be more permissive within the smaller boundary. Mm. So by expanding, you're kind of, I'm also the guy saying, you're not residential. Uh, I get the purpose, all of them seem great. I think it has a very strange shape that kind of like dives into a lot of residential. Mm. If you were to consolidate it to what is actually clearly commercial at this point, a lot be more permissive within that boundary. Great, thank you. And if you didn't catch that in the back, the, the other one of the other answers was to shrink the boundary, but within that shrunken boundary to be more permissive within that tighter area. So it looks like most responses are coming in at retain the current business district boundary at 59%. And the second leading answer there is expand the current business district boundary and add subdistricts at 22%. So thank you for that. Thank you, Josh. So next is a little discussion on uses. Uh, and so in the business district today, any uses which are allowed in the residential districts are allowed in the business district. Also office banks, assembly halls, or places of amusement. And then you see uh, here in the fourth bullet are the primary commercial uses. So retail or wholesale stores, uh, places where services happen, places of building trades, sales room, repair shops, uh, for motor vehicles, garages, filling stations, storage warehouses, restaurants, bakers, photographers, etc. So that's really what the, the meat of the uses in the commercial district are. There may be some uses in that list that you don't think would should be a part of a future improvement in Milton, uh, in East Milton Square. So that, that's what the next questions get at. 
So what option seems most appropriate for uses as we look at the uses in a detailed manner and decide should something be in or out or allowed or not allowed? Should we be focusing on adding new uses to that list which I just showed you and summarized? Should we basically be keeping uses the same, maybe some minor adjustments? Should we be reducing some inconsistent uses? So there were some uses to me um, that jump out as inconsistent, those more related to automotive uses, uh, which aren't as reinforcing of a pedestrian environment. Should we be narrowing the uses to the desired uses only? So if the desire really is to have walkable shops, restaurants, services, should that be the focus of what the uses are allowed? Or another approach, not added in these, or if you're not, not sure, have no opinion, you can select that as well. And the uses can be refined at, as part of our zoning recommendations so that it's more likely that you get the types of things that you'd like to see happen. It looks like 76% are in agreement on narrowing to the desired uses only. So make, tightening up that use list and making sure that it's, it only reflects those things that people wanna see. Yeah, thank you, Josh. And the next option is, or the next question is, what option seems most appropriate for ground floor use regulations? So we're talking about mix, the hope for mixed use district and having a different use on the ground than is above the ground in a multi-story structure. Um, one thing I forgot to mention on the diagrams from the um, Looking Forward study is they had highlighted certain street frontages, Adams Street, uh, Granite Avenue, that are, would have a requirement for a non-residential ground floor. So you can uh, vote your preference here. So what option seems most appropriate for the ground floor use regulations? A would be to allow any use on the ground floor. So anything could, could happen. You could have a residential ground floor, a full residential building, for example. You could incentivize a non-residential ground floor. One way to do that is to have a, an additional story of height that you put on top when a ground floor is non-residential. So you just basically take the same amount and push it up. You can require a portion of the non-residential ground floor, uh, a portion of the ground floor to be non-residential. That would be C. D is requiring a non-residential ground floor in certain locations, which is consistent with what I just shared, but forgot to share earlier on the diagram about the, the previous recommendations. Or E, uh, require a non-residential ground floor everywhere. And I'll just note that the difficulty with that is sometimes more, more non-residential commercial space is built than the market can fill. Uh, so that sometimes is a, is a um, complicated part of a required non-residential ground floor. And it looks like most people are in the uh, answer D with requiring a non-residential ground floor in certain locations on certain streets or certain frontages. Thanks, Josh. All right, in terms of building form, uh, we aren't going to go through specific images. We might do that later in this process in terms of a visual preference survey where we ask for your preferences about specific design elements. This evening, we're just asking in general, how much do you want design to be a part of the zoning regulations? And so I put up a few images of different places um, from around Massachusetts, some are Rhode Island, um, but the basic idea is these all have a distinctive design to them. They all kind of had a little different direction in terms of that design. 
And you could imagine how some of those features might be incorporated into design standards and guidelines and zoning, which would then more consistently uh, push investments in a certain direction. So just in general, what seems most appropriate for you in terms of emphasizing form in design regulate or in the uh, zoning regulations. So the top end, one end of that spectrum is that the uses are the most important. You don't care that much about form one way or another. The second item B is to prioritize uses, but to balance it with some indication of building form, the desired form you'd like to see, the type of roof, the type of ground floor, uh, the type of materials or finishes or form of the building. The middle option C is to shift that so that you're prioritizing building form with some indication of the uses that will occur in that form. D is moving in the direction almost towards a form-based code, if you have heard about that, where building form is the most important and it doesn't really matter what happens inside that form so long as the building and the site are assembled and configured uh, accordingly. So it looks like there is a preference for integrating some direction around form in the regulations. And that's in C, prioritizing building form balanced with some uses at 48%. And it looks pretty balanced actually with the answers on either side of that as well. So that's a good indication for us to move in that direction. Tim shared this uh, data a little bit with us earlier. And these are just comparing some of the existing zoning characteristics, both from the existing zoning and the uh, proposed 3A zoning characteristics, both for East Milton Square. And the characteristics we're gonna go through one by one next are the potential characteristics for the overlay district. So as Tim was mentioning, there's, there's three uh, sets of, of zoning items going on here. You can see that the relationship between the existing zoning and 3A is that 3A is in general much lower. So if you can imagine existing, 3A is down here somewhere. And then perhaps, I don't have three arms, but you'd have the, the third uh, overlay district uh, providing a, a higher or more refined um, envelope, building envelope, buildable envelope um, beyond the current existing zoning. There were some suggestions, and I, I understand that this text is getting pretty small. Um, within each of the sub-districts that were proposed in the looking forward plan, there were some suggested um, heights and specific numbers. We're not going to get into specific numbers uh, this evening, but really trying to get your feel uh, for the overall approach. And then we can do some analysis based upon that approach um, and uh, try to come up with, for our next meeting together, some, some better answers about that approach based upon your feedback tonight. So first, let's talk a little bit about um, the general scale of development with the lot sizes in East Milton Square. So currently, there's no minimum lot size requirement uh, through either the existing zoning or the 3A zoning. But a little bit about lot size, just to help us get acquainted with the district a little better. So the average lot size in the district is 12,831 square feet, which is just under a third of an acre. So you can see most of the, proper, most of the properties are in that under 10,000 or 10,000 to 30,000 category. 69% of properties 
uh, within the red boundary are under 10,000 square feet, with 27% between 10,000 and 30,000 square feet. So they are smaller properties, smaller parcels. And what you saw um, in some of those two more recent uh, redevelopment proposals is assembly of smaller properties to come up with the larger property. If you look at the, uh, the buildings just popped on this diagram, that was the difference. And the setbacks uh, between what you see on those business frontages, Granite Ave and Adams Street, where the commercial district is present, the front setback is, is much smaller, but it does vary from zero feet in some instances. It's a building right at the, set, right at the uh, lot line at the sidewalk, up to 30 feet in some cases. But in general, most of the buildings in that commercial context fall between zero and five feet. About 80% of the structures fall between zero and five feet at the front of the property line. If you move into the residential, the surrounding residential areas within that red boundary we've struck, they range from two to 40 feet, but most, except for some several really deep set outliers, most are within the 20 foot range. So you see there's a difference between the commercial district and its relationship to the sidewalk and the surrounding residential district where the, where the front yard is much more prevalent. So we do wanna talk about uh, in the next questions, some your thoughts on lot setbacks, which are one of the items we'll be considering in the zoning. And also uh, an item Tim mentioned as well around open space. Open space isn't presently required in the zoning. It's something that's contemplated in the 3A zoning. And it's something that we could use to add community amenity, but also uh, modulate the overall density uh, that's, that might occur as well. So in terms of setbacks, the options are to and these again are arrayed in a spectrum from sort of most flexibility to least flexibility. A is remove lot setbacks entirely and let other um, requirements drive how a building is arranged. Reduce lot setbacks, so increase the amount of property that can be used for development. Define a front build to setback, so that's defining a minimum and maximum range, which is I would say pretty consistent with the way that the district has been built over time. So you see buildings aligning pretty consistently at the front. That's a, a front build two setback would accomplish the same thing. D is retaining the same lot setbacks that occur today. And E is increasing the lot setbacks. So making them larger, either on the side, the rear, the front, and in, in the case of the business district itself, when a front setback is increased, what's likely to happen is you would expand the sidewalk area and have opportunities for things like outdoor seating or dining or other uh, pocket park type areas. So we had, we had a dramatic shift here in our, our responses. And so we've now gone to uh, defining a front two setback minimum and maximum range at 55% followed by what was the previous leading answer, increased lot setbacks at 35%. So, yes, sir. Considering in our answers how this choice might affect others, like for instance, we increased lot setbacks, we kind of put pressure on height. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, that that's something that as we take in all the feedback, we're gonna take a look at the interaction between the different characteristics and then come back to the community with how we think it all works together as a viable approach. So that 
not necessarily in your answers. You don't, we'll, we'll be making that accounting. Thank you, Josh. And then the next is what option seems most appropriate for required open space. And again, today there is no open space minimum or maximum. The regulations are silent on that topic. We could establish an open space maximum, so the most that is possible. We could establish an open space minimum, uh, a requirement that each project must meet. We could also establish an open space minimum that is more framed as an incentive to achieve other, like you might get a bonus half story or something if you provide a certain level of open space with a community amenity, and you could set it up as an incentive to get other things that you might like to see in the district, which I think is a, a reasonable approach. And then the final answer E is if you're not sure or have no opinion. And it looks like most, we've got two answers competing. So far we've got establish open space minimum with an incentive, as an incentive, and that's 68%, and establishing an open space minimum at 32%. Great, thank you, Josh. And we've, we've heard in our, we've um, tried to connect with people individually as well in this process to form continuity with the previous planning efforts. And one thing we've heard very loud and clear in those um, sessions is that building height is critically important. Uh, and that, that's very clear. In East Milton Square, the building height today uh, is predominantly between two and two and a half stories. And you see that's the um, sort of middle tone of blue on this diagram. So that's 48% of the properties, again, within that red boundary are between two or two and a half stories. And the half story is typically, we, we call that a, a pitched roof on a two-story structure, call it two and a half stories. If it's a flat roof, it's generally two stories. The lighter blue is one or one and a half stories. That's 32% of structures. And then there's only a few um, three or three and a half story structures. I think there's three uh, to be exact uh, of the parcels in the, that um, red boundary. So predominantly two, two and a half story context. Again, this is what that looks like on the ground. You can see that kind of plays through. You see a lot of two stories, um, some one, one and a half. And in some cases, an exaggerated single story where there's a, a retail shop or something like that with a taller parapet uh, to give it that almost two story feel. So these options relate in a similar fashion to building height. At the top is the most sort of permissive moving down in the spectrum to the least. So A is, uh, the question is what option seems most appropriate for building height? The response A is increase allowed building height overall. B is increase allowed building height in specific locations. C is increase allowed building height as an incentive again, for other things that the community would like to see. Retain the same building height is D. And E is not sure and no opinion, or no opinion. Josh, just to clarify, is this uh, changing from what's allowed in zoning or changing from the current condition? This is related to the current zoning, which 
I think you could, um, it might be best just to generalize this, to think that if you would like to see high increase over, because it is a little confusing, I must admit, because by special permit, you can go quite high today in the current zoning. Um, we should, okay, let's, let's do it that way and we'll clarify for future respondents how this question should be answered. Let's clarify on the fly that you should respond to the current context we just presented, which is the two to two and a half stories as the average. So would you like to see height increased from that two to two and a half stories or stay the same or increase in specific locations or as an incentive? And I think that, thank you for the questions, but I think that offers more clarity than because there are a few different height metrics related to the zoning. And we'll, we'll adapt this question so that in the future survey, it shows up that way. So the leading answer is retain the same allowed building height, which would be a vote for, just to clarify, a vote for a similar two to two and a half story height of the context. Okay, thank you, Josh. And the last is a measure of density in terms of these more uh, technical aspects of the development. So this is the floor area ratio, which is a measure of the building area on a property related to the land area. And so that, that comes up with a ratio, um, which is expressed as a number, usually between one and um, zero and one going upwards. In this case, we don't have much over one. The majority of the properties in the district are in the 0 0.26 to 0 0.5 density, which means you have um, half as much building area as you have land area on the property. So that's including all stories, all, all building area. And that's 28% uh, of the properties are within that category, followed by 19%, which are a little more dense at between 0.51 and 0.75. So that would be three quarters of the land area as building area on a property. When you get to one, there's parity between the amount of building area and the land area. And that's at 11% in the district in terms of properties. And 14% between 0.76 and one. So you see as the density increases as you get to the darker tones on this diagram. And, and typically, interestingly enough, um, historic structures oftentimes are the most dense in a district because they didn't have to contend with parking requirements at the time that they were built. And parking often is one of the things that's most reduces density on a property. So in terms of uh, density, what seems most appropriate to you? And again, thinking about density less from a zoning perspective and more from a perspective of what you see or feel in the district today uh, in the current context. So increasing the allowed building density overall is A. B is increasing the allowed building density in specific locations. C is increasing allowed building density as an incentive. Or D, retaining the same allowed building density. And E is not sure or no opinion. 
Yes. You could, you, B and C could be a similar approach where in certain locations you want to have an increase in density that is used as an incentive. That's true. All right, so it looks like most answers are coming in at retaining the same allowed building density and increasing the allowed building density as an incentive is the next um, item. They're still shifting a little bit. Now they're about equal, those two. All right, thank you, Josh. And we want to touch on parking as well. So um, parking in general, there's a lot of intricacy to the parking requirements, but in general, you could abstract to say that most non-residential uses come in at about one parking space for every 250 square feet. Residential, of course, is, is allowed by variance under the current context. If it is allowed, it's not entirely clear in the bylaw how much zoning per unit there would be, but if you um, extrapolate based upon uses in the residential zones, uh, you can get to probably two parking spaces per residential unit is the, the most likely. But again, in general, I think we're, we're thinking about this in the context of the parking that you see on properties and in the district. And so this is again on a spectrum. So A is the top end of the spectrum where you would have the most flexibility and down to F, which is less flexibility. So what option seems most appropriate for parking requirements? A is to remove minimum parking requirements and add a parking maximum. So you're really trying to uh, focus the amount of parking that's available. B is just removing minimum parking requirements with no addition of a maximum. C is reducing minimum parking requirements, so not removing them, but reducing them. D is reducing minimum parking requirements as an incentive, so again, a trade-off for some other things we might like to see, that you might be able to provide less parking to do that. E is allowing parking reductions through shared parking. So that could be sharing between properties, it could be sharing between uses, which don't use parking at the same time of the day or time of the week. And retain or retaining current parking requirements is F. And G is not sure or no opinion. And the parking, parking requirements are, are difficult in relationship to the smaller properties, which are part of the district we've, we've gone through in the analysis as well, because parking takes up a lot of space on a property. So it's imaginable that parking requirements of a certain scale could make it relatively impossible to redevelop a property because you just can't fit the parking with the building. Thank you, Josh. And that looked like the top answer there was 33% on removing parking requirements and adding a parking maximum. So we've talked some about incentives of various kinds, either through height or density or parking. Um, and those incentives may want to point toward certain things that the community would like to see. Some of that might be um, sustainable features for development. Um, incentivizing green stormwater management, for example, was something mentioned in the Looking Forward study. Incentivizing net zero buildings might be another approach 
where you're giving certain things to ask for a higher level of sustainability in the buildings, investing in complete streets improvements or streetscape improvements, um, pocket parks or other parts of uh, the public realm, which could be uh, an amenity to the community, uh, increase traffic calming measures, which help to um, increase pedestrian safety as, as has been shown as a desire and decrease uh, neighborhood cut through traffic or incorporating neighborhood scale wayfinding, for example. Each of those are sort of extra things that, that could be asked for in that incentivized zoning environment. And also, um, I think affordable housing typically falls into this category as well. And the next question is, uh, what level of affordable housing requirements should we be thinking about in that incentive type environment? Today, uh, the affordable housing requirements have a requirement for 10% affordability. So of all the units that are built, 10% would be affordable at 80% of the area median income. So we can either A, retain that current affordable housing requirement, or B, incentivize an increase in the amount of affordable housing provided. C, increase the overall affordable housing required. And these are actually flipped from most of the order of the other questions in that uh, increasing the overall affordable housing could have an impact on that. Uh, overall viability, financial feasibility of a project as well. Looks like the leading answer is incentivizing the increase of affordable housing provided. So providing, um, asking for more affordable housing for something else in exchange. All right, thank you, Josh, if you did. That was 54% on the incentivized approach. And uh, the next topic's sustainability, but I don't think the question's the same. So let's go on to the next one. I can do that actually. So in terms of sustainability requirements, uh, of which there are, I would say, not that many sustainability requirements in the, in the current zoning. Um, so retaining the current level of sustainability requirements would be not having that many. B, uh, incentivizing an increase in the sustainability of a project. So again, getting having an exchange there for the result of an enhanced sustainable project. C, increasing the sustainability required uh, with things such as the green storm water management or net zero buildings or uh, lead certifications of various levels, we can decide what that most appropriate metric might be, but to include that in the requirements of the future zoning. And it does look like that would be the preference is to include that in the requirement, which is, is becoming more and more standard in these types of districts as well. Thank you, Josh. We are, we are getting close, I promise. This is uh, almost to the end here. So I wanted to circle back on design guidance a little bit and get your specific feedback on the types of design principles that would be the best to focus on. These were principles which I think are, are very good ones from the looking forward document. So uh, enhancing uh, the diversity, flexibility, and resilience of uses, but also the people uh, interacting with those uses. So um, that might include uh, 
having spaces which are interchangeable, having a focus on spaces which are adaptable over time if they become vacant, filling gaps between existing buildings to create a more consistent and lively edge along sidewalks. So where there may be alleyways or the ability to create a small outdoor open space, using building massing to shape outdoor spaces. I think that's especially critical around the Manning Park uh, and really defining the edges of that park well. Placing buildings at corners to define street intersections and consolidating sharing off-street parking uh, as a district. All of those conceptual ideas come across in several design categories. So there's the, the site itself, the frontage, which is between the building and the street, the building uh, and its parking, landscape, signage, or other categories, which include so service areas um, and other topics. And there's also a difference between um, design standards, which are typically required and mandatory versus design guidelines, which are uh, more flexible guidance and suggestions. So we're gonna ask about your, your preference in, preferences in each of those categories. The first is about the content of the design guidelines. So is there a particular area where you would like to see a focus in terms of the guidance that we're providing? You can select all of the above, which is G. A is site, B is frontage, C is building, D is parking, E is landscape, F is signage, G is all of the above. And it's helpful if there, if there is an area to prioritize that you let us know that. If you, again, are on the side of not needing design guidelines, you could choose none of the above as well, which is I. So it looks like most people are wanting a more comprehensive approach to, to design guidance. Building and parking are the two categories that do get votes on their own. Josh, thank you. Sorry to make do this the whole time, Josh. But, and then the next is what seems most appropriate for the type of guidance. So uh, light design guidelines, which again are, are um, more flexible and advisory in nature, a more comprehensive design guidelines, which is what your previous answer points to in, in terms of comprehensiveness, a combination of design guidelines and standards. So those things which are most important would be elevated to a design standard, which would then be required or all design standards where they're all mandatory requirements that are a part of the zoning. It looks like the balance, the combination between the two is striking the right answer, which is also the approach that was taken in Milton Village as well. Okay, Josh, that was 73%, so pretty solid. And then this is, I, I think I keep edging towards, this is almost there, almost there, but I, I do think this is our last set. So wanted to touch on the type of approval, which we touched on at the very beginning, um, and talk about that var variation and difference between special permit uh, through to site plan review and by right. So in general, what seems most appropriate for the type of um, approval required? So permitted by right, it, it is allowed by right as part of the zoning. We've built into the zoning the things we think are most important, but a project, if it meets those metrics, can, can move forward um, and is not questioned. 
Site plan review requires a review by the planning board, but it does not call into question the legality of a project which meets all the metrics which are put forward in the zoning. And then a special permit does um, make call into question whether or not a use can be approved. It's a conditional use. Uh, there's discretion on the planning board or other boards parts as to whether a project of that type of proposal could be approved or not approved. Um, that's the context most of this work is occurring within today. It, just a, a side note on the variation in these as they relate to, again, that important aspect of um, viability is that there's a lot of uncertainty for a developer in terms of special permit and uh, the investment in upfront that has to go into that process without knowing for certain whether or not that project will even be uh, approached as approved. Site plan review oftentimes strikes a balance between those, those two, permitted by right and special permit. And it looks like site plan review is preferred at 70% so far. And then there, we've talked a lot about uh, incentives and there can also be um, variations on those types of approval as they relate to incentives. So would you support any of the following approval incentives? So A is allowing buy right as a base with site plan review for a larger incentive-based project. So a certain scale is fine by right, but then if, if it gets a little larger, you move to a site plan review, allowing site plan review as a base. And then if it's a little larger, you move to special permit for those. Or retaining site plan review for both a base and incentive, doesn't matter sort of which, which you're in, it's a site plan review. Or retaining special permit for either approach. Or if you're not quite sure, it's getting a little too technical, that's fine too. It looks like most answers are coming in at allowing site plan review as a base with special permit for a larger incentive-based project. Thank you, Josh. And I know we've covered a lot of different aspects of potential zoning, but just to see if there are other thoughts or comments um, that we didn't cover. And also invite if there are any verbal comments, but with, with a caveat that let, I'm not opening the floor completely just yet, just on the, the zoning. I do wanna ask you about um, some potential um, example districts, and then we'll have an op open call for comments as well. So shared district parking. Design expansion, which I might need some help on. Oh, zone expansion, got it. Thank you. I didn't wasn't sure if there's some special local sign that I wasn't aware of. Okay, so it's so it seems like perhaps the uh, this was relatively comprehensive, which was our intention. So that's great. A traffic study related to any proposed development, zone expansion. Thank you for the correction. Okay, thank you all for your patience in following on this. So the final item which is helpful for us is just to get your sense of examples of other successful mixed use zones. We have 
suggested some, which is always dangerous because no one ever likes our suggestions. Um, but we have suggested some more to have you point us in the direction to go do some more additional homework to understand what has made that place successful or how their zoning looks. Um, so I have a few. Um, some of these are in the looking forward study as well. So we're still building off that previous work. One is in Belmont in Cushing Square, and they have um, rezoned this uh, walkable village center. You can see the context as it exists today. One and two story structures, some similarities to the context of East Milton Square. You can see some of the zoning characteristics in the box in that corner there. So uh, of the, the proposed, not proposed, but the enacted mixed use overlay district at Cushing Square, so up to four stories, 48 feet by special permit, a rear setback of 20 feet, no front setback, uh, maximum floor area ratio, that FAR, which we were talking about today in East Milton Square is not getting anywhere over one in general, and they had it at three there, um, and parking a little bit less, one per unit. And this is the type of development that's now constructed in Cushing Square as a result of that um, zoning overlay uh, for mixed use in Cushing Square, ground floor retail um, on the main street, and then three stories of residential in general above. There's some topography there, so it varies between three and four stories. Just, uh, when you say successful, what, what are like key metrics, like the three to five things that you would say, we would define the successful project as the following? I, I think generally the very simple summary of success here is that there's zoning that resulted in a built constructed work. So it was zoning that proved to be viable. So that that's success. If that. I mean, any zoning even successful, right? Not necessarily. So I, I think the mixed use zoning of scale was the intended outcome, and that was what resulted from the zoning. So the. Uh, I think that this, this massing in, in form, well, it did have, I think it went through its own process in Belmont. I think it, the intended results that the community was looking for is what came from the zoning. So that's, I think, vision, zoning, constructed and built outcome. There's some variation along the way, and I think you could find voices that would say that this, even in Belmont, that would say this is not a success. But that this, I think, from point A to point B to point C, that's the success. So as, we, as we went through the process, you felt like you had consistency and plurality at the work, at the, at the least of the flags. There seems to be a consistent vision in Milton. And you're saying that it seems consistent with Belmont. And Belmont made zoning laws that was consistent with their vision, which wasn't 100% consensus. You'll never get that. Yeah, I don't think. I want to be cautious. I'm not, I'm not saying like this is the solution for East Milton Square. I, I think we're looking at other models where they have actually had the intention of mixed use zoning. They've put forward a type of zoning as a solution, and then they've had a built result, which did not circumvent the zoning which was put in place to create this outcome. Sure. I, that's right. I actually don't disagree with that it's a success. I, I, just, I guess it depends on what. We're defining success, which is different. There are communities, I'm not saying this is one of them, that define success as no further building. Right? So yep. I'm just curious. So in this case, they wanted this type of thing. They got this type of thing because they made zoning that allowed for that type of thing. Yeah. Well, 
they put up that really large building. Similar structures to what you see here in this context photo. And some of these structures still exist, for example, across the street on Trapello Road. Um, and so this, it's, it was, that's the redevelopment that is possible moving from a one or two story structure to a three or four story structure was the end result. So, so it goes back to that viability. I mean, we could put together a zoning plan if nothing happens, then obviously it wasn't successful. It, it all comes down to appeasing everybody, it, all the players, so to speak. Right, which is, which is what we're trying to keep a mind to as we go through hearing everything from the community, keeping an eye to those more technical aspects of the zoning. And we, um, as practitioners, don't get that right all the time either. There's plenty of mixed-use overlay zoning districts around in our region that have not produced mixed-use construction. So it's, it is a balancing act, and it's not, not always the, the perfect solution. So I'll, I'll, I'm just going to show you a few more of these, and then you all get to weigh in on whether or not you think this is something we should consider as an example. There's, there's Redding, uh, which has, has some similarities uh, in, in their downtown. Um, they put together a overlay district of the char characteristics you see here. So 45 feet by special permit, uh, zero foot at the side or rear if there's an adjoining building, zero foot uh, up to 10 feet, so that build two front setback. Parking was a little higher at one and a half per unit. Um, and then one per 500 square feet of residential or of non-residential space. And the, the FAR, the density is again higher. And this was the, a resulting project from that zoning recipe. So the ground floor uh, non-residential uses, three stories of residential above. And I did have some statistics. Oh, I missed it on, on Cushing Square that Massing that we showed was 124 residential units, and it had 38,000 square feet of commercial space. Here, there's 53 um, apartments, over 22,000 square feet of retail. I'll just go through a few more of these. Uh, Dedham Square has seen quite a bit of mixed-use redevelopment. This is the context in Dedham Square. There's still some of those one-story retail structures, as you see. Um, here, and they put together mixed-use zoning um, with a 45-foot, four-story maximum height, a 2.4 um, density floor area ratio, one space per residential unit, and then some additional um, parking required for retail, but that was more on a, a discretionary basis. And here's a resulting structure, three stories, ground floor, retail or restaurant space with two stories of residential above. And that was 14 units, residential units, over 7,400 square feet of retail. And in Canton Center, Canton Center is an interesting example because they've had a uh, mixed use overlay district that's been in place for some 20, 20 years or more. And it was an example of, of attracting mixed-use development to Canton Center. Um, and it has been, uh, we just went through a process with them to update that 20-year-old mixed-use zoning uh, because it was no longer attracting the type of development that they would like to see. So the base height 
was uh, three stories and 40 feet, 40 feet. We've just helped modify that to be uh, four stories. And I think it was like 52 feet or 55 feet. Um, oh, that's it. I put it there. So that's, that's what it's been adjust, adjusted to. Um, a, one unit, one parking space per unit and one space per 500 square feet of retail. And you can see here's an example of, uh, this was under the previous zoning actually. So nothing has been uh, built, which the new zoning is not even passed by their town meeting yet, it's brand new. And this was um, a three-story structure. And so this would be to move to a four-story. This, this had a little bit of occupiable space in the pitch of the roof, but not a full story. And that's a, a ground floor restaurant at the beautiful, they have a waterfall right next to it here uh, with residential above. And then lastly, uh, Milton Village, which has gone through their own process in the town, of course, uh, and is looking at heights of four stories or 55 feet by special permit, an FAR of 1.65 with parking at a space per unit with a space per 500 square feet of residential. And I know, I know nothing about this project, but I've found this online. Um, so there, th potentially, and I, I'm not trying to get into trouble here, but this is a potential conceptual plan uh, under that zoning. I have no idea what its status is, so don't, don't quote me on it. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, but it just gives you a scale. Nothing yet has been uh, built underneath that, or under that uh, Milton Village zoning, but potentially uh, proposals will come forward. So last, last set of questions, I promise. Uh, these ones are straightforward. We're just trying to get your reaction to each of these examples, if they're good or bad, and if we should uh, pursue them any further to try to learn lessons from them for East Milton Square. So we'll go, go one by one. So is Cushing Square in Belmont a good example? A is very good, B is good, C is neutral, D is bad, E is very bad, and F is not sure or no opinion. Well, one thing we've consistently found working in the region is that you can never find the right example to tell another place that they're, so I won't feel bad if all these answers are very bad. So, so it looks like Cushing Square might not be the one. Uh, most people are thinking it's bad at 60, 67%, okay. How about Dedham Square? Same routine, so Dedham Square, A is very good, B is good, C is neutral, D is bad, E is very bad. Dedham looks a little better. And I, I will note, we put one image up, but the Dedham has actually seen um, more development, more development, mixed use development in Dunham Square than most places as a result of their zoning changes. So it is, it is a bit of a success story. So B, 67% uh, is good. We can look into the characteristics in Dedham. How about in downtown Reading, same routine. A is very good, B is good, C is neutral, D is bad, or E is very bad. It's like Reading may also be worth a look. Most people are neutral about it with some followed by some good. 
Looks like Dedham did come a little stronger than Reading in terms of people, people's response to it. Okay, Josh, let's move on next. And how about uh, following the local model with Milton Village? A is very good, B is good, C is neutral, D is bad, E is very bad, and F is not sure, no opinion. And there is some nice symmetry between the districts in terms of the town of, as the one moves across the town on Adams Street to have the sort of anchor points of Milton Village and East Milton Square. Looks like neutral and good are the leading answers there with 40% and 27%. Why did he vote on Canton? Yeah. Did you not vote on Canton? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Um, may, well, that's all right. We will make sure that we insert Canton into our future questions. And maybe by a quick show of hands, how many people would have voted very good for Canton? Okay. How many would have voted good for Canton? All right. How many would have voted neutral for Canton? Okay. How many not good for Canton? Okay. And how many really are, I guess, very bad is the way I said. I mean, very bad. All right. Thank, thank you for helping us make that correction on the fly. We'll fix that for the at-home survey. And then the... Final question is, are there other examples that you know of in a similar um, model that you think we should take a look at as an alternative or in addition to, say, Dedham Square and Reading, perhaps? Hingham Center. Hingham, was, Hingham Center? Hingham Center? Yeah, it's on an MBTA commuter route. Yeah. Has a much different density. Yeah, and Hingham Center has, um, done some similar zoning changes and they have a structure which has been built under those zoning, uh, mixed use zoning as well. So Westwood, Hingham, uh, yeah, Islington Center, there's been a lot of effort that's gone on in Westwood around Islington Center. The shipyard at Hingham, the, ship, the shipyard at Hingham I would say is a little different situation, but Hingham Center I think is a good one. Newton Center, North Adams, Winchester, yeah, Winchester has done rezoning with, with a proposal. Wellesley and Needham. De Denver might be a little different, but we can take a look. Yeah. Great. Well, that. that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so th thank you all for your for your patience and that it this this really does give us very rich feedback in terms of guiding in very a very um, concrete and specific way how we look at the zoning relative to the community's feedback. So I appreciate that. But as I mentioned, we did want to give pause and space for other comments or thoughts or questions which we haven't covered in, in the framing of this presentation. So welcome you to. Um, yes, there's a quick question kind of on the, the time arc here. So I, I believe it's yeah, December 4th, 
this vote in town meeting, but that's on the MBTA Communities Act. Yeah. This overlay, kind of curious on how the how the timeline looks. You said this was kind of the early feedback stage. Yeah, yeah. Josh, could you uh, push me past this? Thanks. Yeah, so the time, that's a great question. So the question was about the timeline for the overlay. The 3A zoning is on a different timeline, of course. Um, in terms of the overlay zoning, we are looking out toward um, probably not even a town meeting in the spring of 2024, but at the earliest, and I'm not sure that's even contemplated for a fall of 2024, but it might even be beyond that. But this process will be going um, our, our effort with the town and the guidance to put the zoning and design guidelines together will uh, be occurring over the new year. We hope to be moving that forward toward a uh, second community meeting where we would come back to you with more concrete results of all of this feedback, uh, probably to land in about the March or so timeframe. And then that would be us wrapping up our work to hand off to the planning board by the end of June, which is when the funding and contract for our work is through. Um, and then the, then it would be an effort from there to move forward with a, a public hearing, a warrant article, those types of um, official zoning maneuvers towards a town meeting. Yes? How does this align or compete with the MBTA zoning? That's where I'm, I'm like completely confused with that. Yeah, so I, and I, Tim's welcome to jump in, but I, I'm happy to give a shot at it. And that the way I would describe and understand it is that the MBTA zoning is um, building on the planning work of the town, but it's it's placing a threshold for development which is below that which is likely to occur. And as we move toward a um, overlay zone, which we all are working toward together. We're hoping that the overlay zone is a more likely approval mechanism for development to occur through. So it's while the 3A zoning will hopefully be in place to help the town with its requirements relative to that set of laws, the um, likelihood for development to occur will be through the zoning we're working on here. I, it's, it's less likely just because of the height and the scale that someone was going to make the conversion for an all residential property when this will be um, more more viable. That's what we're, we're hoping for here. Is this survey going to be opened up to others that are not at this meeting? Will they get access to make comments into the surveys so you guys can evaluate it moving forward outside of those that are not here or not able to participate? Yes, very good question. You're, you're setting me up just, just perfectly with these final slides. So um, yes, online, there will be available through the town's website. We're gonna put uh, a link to the presentation which we've given, a uh, recording that's being recorded uh, so kindly by Milton TV, and then also um, a link which you see here on the screen through the bit.ly link, the East Milton Square Zoning 2023, which provides all of the same questions which we've gone through as an audience, which is an excellent um, audience that's with us this evening. But anyone who's viewing this recording in the future or just stumbles upon the link will be able to take the survey. We'll compile all of the feedback we receive, both from the phone voting, from the in-person in paper surveys we received this evening, and then also combine it with the online survey. The online survey we anticipate will be open for the next month or so. So moving toward the um, you know December holidays-ish, that time frame. 
And again, will you focus on the residents as opposed to people that are not residents and their wants and needs? Yeah, so I think that's, um, we'll, we will be able to sort the data because of the questions we've asked. We'll probably be looking at the data in a number of ways. The first will be overall, just what are the patterns and what's everything saying. We will, we can take a look and analyze it based upon some of those um, cohorts of the answers and see if there's any meaningful difference between overall to a cohort. And if there is, um, what might we want to do about that to see? But we, we'll, we'll take a look at the data that we receive um, in a variety of ways and re report that back to the planning board if, if there's a decision to be made around that data. Yeah. Can you talk to what the impetus of this overlay district was, and what the objectives are prior to residential community input? Yeah, so this has been um, something that has a long, I would say, track record leading to this point. So it started with the townwide Milton Master Plan from 2015, thank you. And so that at that time, there was a focus on economic development in East Milton Square, um, really reinforcing it as the commercial center and heart of the town. The um, following that work were the, the ULI study that Tim mentioned um, and the uh, looking forward Milton study, which gave more, uh, had their own community processes involved in them gave more uh, specificity and detail around what economic development should mean in East Milton Square, but also for the surrounding neighborhood. And so then our, our zoning and the, the types of purpose statements that we went through this evening are, the, are what we've um, sort of summarized and delineated from all of that past work that we're building on. Is, is that what you were asking about? Yes, what's not clear to me is if the objective is to expand the overlay district, to make the overlay district more effective? And what is the, what's driving the effort of this overlay? Well, I think what's, the very simplest way to put it is that projects are not being approved through the current zoning. They're having to circumvent the current zoning, either through variance or a separate process, 40B, for example. We wanna create a zoning set, a set of zoning regulations that projects can actually enter through and be approved through so that there's more predictability for the district, but more predictability for residents as well. So that that's what all my talk about viability is about, that it can't be a recipe. We can say, um, you know, we've heard all the community and we're gonna make it a very small district that you can't do very much in, but then you'll have the same problem where there's still going to be development pressure in this part of the city or in this part of the town, in this region, um, and that will show up in the form of development projects that just go around the current zoning or, or future zoning if we haven't properly tried to accommodate viability. And as part of that process, have you identified areas that you think are opportunities to attract development within the existing zone? Yeah, I think that- Sorry, I can't hear the question. Yeah, the, the question was about, are there areas that we've identified within the current zoning that would attract opportunities? I think that the, the short answer is yes, like, they're pretty common. So there are um, issues around height, density, parking requirements. Um, those are things which we've heard from our, the previous processes and from our stakeholder interviews are the issues that the community is most concerned on. Those are the areas where there's also opportunity for improvement on the current zoning. So I think that's, that's the balance 
that we're going to have to work through in this process, um, and we'll we'll find ways to help help us all come to an agreement on what, how we can move this forward. Our first step is getting the feedback that you're all giving us tonight and through the survey in terms of where where maybe there might be more acceptance of us pushing on one of those characteristics versus another. Yeah. Yes, sir, in the, in the back. How many people responded to that in the, in, the, in the room? I think there's about 50 people here. I'm just curious how many people actually took the poll. Yeah, I, I actually can't check on that. In re, like, I'd have to do... Maybe that's the planning board uh, after, after today's meeting. And yeah. yeah. Um, I guess I've also seen no clarity on the expansion of the business districts. So you've been really good about very high level, very complicated things. The survey is not easy to follow. I don't agree with some of the way the words are written, but again, we can talk about that later. But I'm just curious why you didn't talk about where you're looking to expand. And for instance, I'll consider this area transitional. And there are some places in this area that kind of meet the definition of transitional. But your slides specifically show they're going to be in the business district and you want them to be red instead of one of the other colors that you're showing. Yeah, so the, the boundaries that we shown, have shown in this meeting are those that were included in the recommendations from the Looking Forward study. And that's what we're sort of poking at and trying to gather additional feedback on from you all. So I, I wouldn't say that there's necessarily a proposed boundary approach or places that are being expanded for sure or not, or even what those expanded properties may be in terms of the characteristics of the zoning that would ultimately come forward. So I'm, very, I'm very visual and I'm looking at the slides yeah. and I've seen slides presented to me that have shown visual presentations. I've asked questions. I've been told that's not in the study area. That's not part of this. And then things happen. That, that, and so I'm not seeing all of the two families located on those slides, right? Um, they, there are four or five of them right outside the door that aren't identified, right? Um, just things like that, right? That, that, that just kind of, I guess I have questions about. And then we talked about community engagement. And I did print out, there's a, on 922, there's a whole pamphlet about how you're going to community engage people, that you're reaching out to lots of different groups. I don't know who identifies those people and whether or not that's a public process where the planning board talks about it and says who those people are. Like, I'm a town meeting member. I've never been reached out about any of this. And I've asked questions about it, but nobody's ever talked to me about it. That's great feedback. So I, I will actually point to this. I think you and I should talk. So we've been talking to anyone that would like to talk to us, and we should reach out to each other and have one of those one-on-one -on -one discussions. We have been having one-on-one -on -one discussions. We talked with the planning board about the people that we've been reaching out to, um, primarily been focused on uh, building that continuity between the pre previous planning processes, talking to people who are on the working group for the uh, looking forward study or on the uh, steering committee for that work as well. So we're, I'm open to talking to whoever would like to have an additional conversation who is not satisfied by this forum. We'd be happy to talk about the details. It sounds like you have some great insights into specific parcels or how we might reflect them better in our diagrams. So we should connect. Are you precinct seven? I am precinct seven, yeah. And, and that's been part of my thing is I don't know of anybody in precinct 
precinct seven on this side of East Milton Square, right, which is really three streets that's ever been talked to in a town meeting form or in the neighborhood. And I reached out to my neighbors. A lot of them were here. They became frustrated by the complexity and the discussion. So I feel that I need to owe them an apology because I didn't realize how complex this discussion was going to be today and the kinds of questions you were going to be asking us. And I'm a design professional, so I at least have some general idea of what you're doing here, but I, I just think that there's a lot of technical information, which I appreciate because you are a professional, but it needs to be somehow disseminated much differently for the audience that you're presenting to. I appreciate that. We, we definitely connect. Do you, uh, assuming developers aren't going to walk into this, want to walk into this crowd, so do you have some way of, someone on staff, or some way of analyzing the economics of it from that perspective? Yes. So, yeah, there's an interesting aspect of it. So we do have, um, I know everyone doesn't love to hear about 3A work, but as a part of 3A work that MAPC is involved in, we uh, have been developing a financial feasibility model uh, to test, in that case, uh, the amount of affordability that can be um, supported by a residential project. And that uh, up-to-date financial feasibility model, I've been discussing with my colleagues uh, in, in the office, and we think that can be pretty easily adapted to our purposes here uh, to test financial feasibility on a, on a pretty sort of quick and responsive basis about what the zoning characteristics look like that we're contemplating and how that might influence financial feasibility in East Milton Square. So that's that's one tool that we'll be using. In, 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 signing with them, but for this to be successful, for zoning like this to be successful, it has to appeal to everyone. And, and, and it has to, um, would it, would, would it, is, is the intent to prevent like surprises like 440 granite? I mean, is that the intent of this for us to control our destiny? Yeah, I think that in a, in a lot of ways it remains to be seen if the answer that comes out of this process is one that will be successful in terms of tra channeling and attracting development in a predictable way. I think that's always the question mark in these processes. We can come up with the answer together that we think is the right answer, but will it actually result in development is the bigger question. And that's, and that's not a perfect science. I mean, the numbers that we produce could show that it, yes, may be, but there are any number of reasons. Some of them relate to the development cycles and real estate market and the loaning terms that are happening in the marketplace today. So it might be work that produces more built results in years uh, or in a different re real estate development era. Um, but I think that, that that's the tough part is if the, the Venn diagram that I showed towards the beginning is, is a critical one. If we come up, to a, come up with a conclusion that's very satisfying to the people in this room, but it would never result in a built project, then I'm not sure that we've achieved the, the meaning of that Venn diagram. And because it's a new element in the room, the MBT thing, then we would have done nothing to help us with that if we don't have some successful plan. Because, I mean, that's what's been pushed to us, is that, you know, our uh, one thing that will help us is this plan. I think that, that I'm not sure how to answer that. I, I think that, I'm not sure whether or not what we do in our overlay work, however this turns out, 
I'm not sure that the, you will see development pressure from the 3A changes in, in East Milton Square. But I, I don't have a crystal ball, so. Yes. An observation is one of the challenges of East Milton Square is the traffic and the presence of MassDOT. And it's also a concern for everyone that lives here but how that impacts businesses. And to me, it doesn't feel like zoning is something that can address that issue. But just curious how you factor that in and think about the traffic realities of the area. Yeah, so the question was about traffic and traffic concerns and how zoning can address traffic concerns. And typically when you get to a scale of project, like we were talking about in the different um, approval approaches, uh, if a project hits a certain threshold, you can require of that project additional studies. Some of them might be traffic studies, um, both looking at the impacts, the volumes, the potential mitigation for that traffic, which is a practice that the town already has in place. The town is also doing um, pretty extensive modeling work across the town, which would be a, an excellent basis for that type of effort on a project by project as, as proposals come forward. So that's something that can be I think this, this answer is often unsatisfactory to community members, but it can be essentially inserted as a part of the review process so that it's dealt with on a specific project by project basis. It's not as much typically dealt with sort of at the zoning level in a universal way. So it's not, it's more studied as, as an individual project comes forward, there's a, a trigger and mechanism so that traffic gets studied in a very intentional and focused way for the characteristics of that specific project. Because looking yeah. at Islington, looking at um, others, we have a unique, I think we have a unique traffic situation here. Um, traffic's critical. I, I'm sure everybody in every town says that, but, but looking at those towns, we do, you know, we have to cut from, and some of them don't, you know. Well, anyone that lives here avoids East Milton Square because of the traffic, but we're the ones that frequent the businesses. So there's a conflict there that it well, doesn't really work. It's being pushed through the neighborhood. Like if you look all along the schools and like Kingbrook Road and Adams Street, a lot of those streets are one way during certain times a day, no left hand turn. There's none of that in East Milton Square. So we're getting Dorchester traffic, we're getting Quincy traffic from two different directions. And between Squanum and Adams Street going into Quincy, there's construction on one of the two at all the time. So I'm on Emerson Road and the cut through is insane. I mean, I have two children that I don't even want my kid to walk to the bus stop a block and a half away. So these are things that for some reason, the square and the neighborhood beyond it has never been considered, but other parts of Milton has. And I, I think that that's for some reason, East Milton Square is just sort of the lost, like we're the Isle of the Lost um, to some extent. The misfits. The misfits a little bit that, you know, with all the changes that are happening, which I, I support change and I support development, but responsible and to not forget the members, uh, the community members who already live there and have you know, put roots down that we want to better our neighborhood, but we want to do it safely. Yeah. Now, I would agree with all that, and I live on Antwerp Street, and I've actually followed people who have gotten off the highway, gone through our neighborhood, and gotten back on the highway, yeah, yeah. avoiding Grant, yeah. and they're going through the little neighborhood streets, not stopping in any of the stop signs. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. So all of this, I just, I mean, I know that's not what this meeting is about, just to make sure that it's considered as planning is happening or zoning is that we have to encompass 
all the different aspects of it, including enforcement of our, of our police officers and whether it's overnight parking or you know, if we do implement speed bumps for one way during certain hours, we need support there. That's great, great feedback. And there, there are things that we can do through the zoning to address those safety issues as well. And it's also, in my experience, not a satisfactory answer to community members as well, but one way to really impact cut through traffic is to make it more difficult for the, tra the free flow of traffic through an area that you don't want to see the cut through traffic because the uh, Waze apps and Google Maps and everything, which is pushing people to the places where there's a free flow of traffic. And if you have a walkable mixed use district where there's a lot of activity, traffic slows down, there's maybe some congestion, but it's there for a reason because everyone's visiting the shops, stores, there's on-street parking going on, that becomes a congested area. And then those apps aren't going to push the traffic to it as much. It's in the neighborhood. So you're correct. That is the case on Granite and Adams. But when you get into the neighborhood itself, that's the way around it. Starbucks is Church Street is yeah. the cut through to Starbucks from Georgia. I mean, even Granite App has the one ways that you yeah. can't go right to get off of the highway to protect that. I mean, that, those neighborhoods are going to definitely be impacted by development. But if the traffic, at least, the people who live there are kind of supportive in that. But once you get beyond the square behind the fruit center and all I would just echo that. I just don't want to lose it because like, congestion as a solution is a very Massachusetts answer. It's a very important <laughs> answer like, to the problem. Like, it's like, oh, I know how we'll solve traffic deaths would just cause everything to be congested. Uh, but then like the data, the data stream effect is that, well, Granite Street is, is congested, so they drive through this at 40 miles an hour. Right. Uh, and so, yes, it's all, it's like, oh, less people in total, um, but then they go through your street at 40. Yeah. Um, and the stop signs mean nothing. Like we can just watch out our window when we were working from home and people just blowing through the stop signs like they're not even there. And somewhat facetious, I was Denver, but like I would encourage us highly not to look in Massachusetts for answers. Like they, there are like, it is a very insular way of looking at the world and there are better solutions than Massachusetts has to offer for traffic and I appreciate that. And I appreciate the clarification on the neighborhood streets. That's good. Adding, adding on to oh, that, does Milton still have a traffic commission? I believe so, yeah. Yes, Tim is on the traffic commission. Oh, Focus. We are all. Any other? side cutting over to get over to East Milt Square. It's like non-stop so they have to take in consideration the amount of traffic, the overflow, and the safety for the kids that are around here with all the cut throughs. So they recommend having like at least a uh, traffic study just to monitor the amount of traffic of flow of what we have coming into, into East Milt right now. And even when you cut through the center, you have to cross across the main drag and Bryant Street. It's non-stop traffic. And you can't cross the street without waiting. And it, it, everything backs up on Edge Hill Road during like peak hours. So whenever you have to cut through town, it takes you 20 minutes to get through one side, one side of the town to the other. So it's recommended for them to take a good look at all the traffic patterns around through the flow of the Dorchester, Quincy, Randolph that comes into East Milton Square. Thank you. Yeah, just a couple more. If there's any other, anything else we haven't covered? 
Yeah. Just to finish that thought, I think a lot of the feedback you're getting about viability and why people are cringing is with all of that in mind. Because if you make if you make the center more viable, it's going to add density, it's going to add traffic, and it's going to push into our neighborhoods. That's what people are worried about. All right. It seems like we're kind of losing everyone here. So thank you all very much. We appreciate it. appreciate your time this evening. Thank you. Yes, please do turn in your surveys.